From the creators of Relevant Magazine, it's the Relevant Podcast. Come on, turn the beat louder. Song so hot it needed a cold shower. Fat boys crushing the human beat vibes. Boom shakalak, number one cheap rocks. Big flow, hit your referee whistle. I earn these stripes and I'm also official. The crowd's in the palm of my hand and the fistful. Popping like a disco ball in some Crisco. The style point pistol, P. Minister Sean Otis, yo, beat. You tweet it on tweet, you whoop it on woof. You somewhere in between trying to raise the roof. I go brick by brick, then written down Babylon. Spit full clip, don't get me, get get it on. Bit by bit, y'all flip like Gravitron. Blast that whole drum kit, then pass it on. It's the week of Friday, April 18th, 2014, and it's the relevant podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's podcast is brought to you by Fracture. Uh, the company that takes pictures and prints them directly on glass—it's—it's it's amazing. It is—they're really cool, actually. I got—I actually own one. I got one for my mom and dad. So, so a fracture is. Uh, so they—they they take. You know, everybody has their phones are full of hundreds and thousands of photos that you're not going to do anything with. So why not, you know, upload them to Fracture and uh, they'll print them directly on glass. So everything you need to get your photo on the wall comes in the box. Prices start at just 12 bucks for a small size. They have a variety of sizes to fit every wall. You just upload your own picture at FractureMe.com. And when you use coupon code RELEVANT at the checkout, you'll get 15% off your first purchase. And if you order this week, you'll definitely get it in time for Mother's Day. And this is a great Mother's Day present. Yeah. Um, the staff uh, for our 11-year anniversary for the print magazine, um, the cover story I, I helped author, mm-hmm. and uh, the staff uh, to, to mark the occasion printed the cover on a huge fracture yeah. thing for me and it's in my office and it's so cool looking it is cool it's not translucent like I don't want people to think it's like see through no it's not at all like you, yeah. yeah you don't see the wall like I was curious because when we hung at my parents house like it was on a wall with like wood on it you don't like see that behind the picture no yeah it just makes the picture lighter and it kind of like fits into the the room more I don't know yeah. why it it's, works it's I, really cool I yeah, mean like I, it's, we're having a hard time explaining it but like we both have them and yeah. really really like them I actually back up all my pictures to fracture <laughs> so they send me a case of pi- a case of glass pictures a week. It's like a nature yeah. box situation. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Eddie, Eddie's using a significant amount of their like server space just yeah. with random pictures, and he's thinking about getting put onto glass. Yeah, four <laughs> selfies of myself until I find the right one. I get all four of them printed he, out. Just Eddie, uh, Eddie, Eddie has enough save right now to replace all the windows in his home. <laughs> like a stained glass thing, you know. Yeah, That'd fracture is really cool though. Fifteen percent off. Go to fractureme.com and use promo code relevant. All right, well, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, Eddie Big Cat Koffeltz. Cameron, nice to see you. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. On the Skype line from Chicago, Illinois, Shauna Nequist. Good morning. And over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, Chad Michael Snavely. Hello, friends. We have a great show for you guys this week. Uh, Coming up, we have two in-studio performances by John Mark McMillan. How great is that new album, BT Dubs? So good. <laughs> it's awesome. Is that the name of the album, Jesse? Because I thought no, it was no, called no, no. Borderland. That's one of the cool, cool kids will know what I'm talking about. It means, it means by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I met it him. It is one. a great album. I yeah. never, ever get to name drop on this show. I did meet him one time uh, for like five minutes. You know, he was here in our building, so yeah. all of us have met why, him for more than five minutes. Why you got to blow out someone else's candle to make yours brighter? <laughs> why can't I just have my five minutes with John Mark McMillan? <laughs> we were at a wedding together, and we were in line, and we were talking about the macaroni and cheese, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get out while I'm ahead, and that was it. I thought, I thought you were vegan. <laughs> 
Uh, he was getting macaroni and cheese. I was telling him about why I'm vegan, but trying not to make him feel guilty about <laughs> I was trying to discourage him from eating the macaroni and cheese. That's right. unethical. After uh, a, a worship concert he had in the area last year or so, he came over to the house and we had an all-night oh, poker night. God. See, this is what happens. We played poker all night long. <laughs> was, got, that's cool, Eddie. You stood in line with him and, and, and <laughs> chatted about your, your dietary I was, preferences. I was pretty pumped up when I met him. Also, in a related note, last week I went to a prayer gathering at a local uh, school board member. House. What about you, Cameron? <laughs> An honorary, <laughs> an honorary An school board member's house. Any stories that could one up that? Even though Chad Michael Snavely says we're not allowed to talk about ourselves on the show anymore. Oh, I think we can talk about this. <laughs> okay, okay. I got well, real quick. I don't mean to one off you, but I'm going to. Uh, you kind of set me up there, Eddie. Uh, let's forget about everything you said about the school board member. Yeah, people. Because this is way cooler. Virginia Beach got hit, lacked the avoidance of a huge ship this weekend. That's right, a it did. Huge, a huge, huge ship. Wow. <laughs> like a cargo vessel from wherever is beached right now, like a mile and a half from where I'm sitting at this what? very moment. That's what? crazy. Yeah, it's a huge ship. <laughs> no one was injured, so we can laugh. Uh, but- I mean, I'm sure it cost them some financial you know uh, problems, but uh, it is kind of funny. Who who's the captain? I, oh, I, the I Exxon don't know. Valdez I, I, guy. I'll tell you who it's not. John Trimmer. <laughs> I, uh, that's amazing. No, that's we crazy. had high winds overnight, and in like uh, uh, I live like near like the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, and you have to go through these ba- the Baybridge Tunnel, and they, they only go one one ship at a at a time out there. So it's like a parking lot of huge ships. Um, but the thing <laughs> is, it's a really big bay. And uh, there's really no reason to crash into the shore, but this one did. So I was going to drive down there after the podcast and uh, Just, yell some jokes at him. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what if, if, if you have no idea why this matters, if you're a listener and have no idea why this is a big deal, it's because you need to go back like a couple months in the podcast and yeah. there's been a running thing about huge ships. Yeah. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, so have you guys ever done the... Uh, have you guys ever had to, like, been in a social situation where you had to do conversation starters? That's my job. <laughs> it's, like, all I do. I just, so you're just top of the dome. You don't, like, reference actual, like... No. You know, because they make these cards. Like, like there's a, we have a pack here called Table talk, Topics, yeah. and they're sitting on the sitting on the table in front of me, and there's actually some really interesting questions here. Okay. And I'm wondering if maybe I, sh- I should... Uh, uh, who's the most famous person you've ever met? You are not a good <laughs> I met uh, Greg Luganus one time when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> was that when you were in your, your diving phase? It was. I was going to get real into diving. Uh, and, and I decided if I'm going to get into this sport, I might as well go try to hunt down Greg Luganus. Mm-hmm. Since I know I'm going to be topped. Also, I met... Um, I Since met... I'll inevitably be taking him on within the next year or two. <laughs> I also, uh, with my Boy Scout troop one time, uh, shook hands with uh, Dan Quayle as he uh, got off the plane. Cool. So, so all, all downhill from there. <laughs> no. Jesse, who's I, the most famous person? I went person? to college with Small Wonder. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She yeah. is pretty famous. Shauna, I, I really want you to answer this yeah, question. Yeah, you got to answer for you real. You had to have met somebody cool. Have you met a president? Um, I have. Which one? Bill Clinton. That's really neat. Is he yeah. the only one? Oh, Because I, um, I straddled him. I haven't met Bill, but I've met the, the Bushes and uh, Obama. Yeah, he's the only one. I, Interesting. I almost yeah. ran into him one time. I've told like with your story. car. <laughs> Have I told you that story? No. I was working at a um, Bill Clinton. You I, almost ran him down in your car. I no. I was almost running and almost ran him. Ran into him. So you, he, were you running to train for your diving 
I was. It was Phase all. Eight. It was all the path to Greg Luganus. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say this. The diving thing explains the pool leak detection. <laughs> it's all like, like you're just. It's all related. I my see. whole life. Uh, so no, I was. Uh, you ever watch like a sporting event live and you see the cameraman down on the field and behind him is some kid curling cable, uh, like coiling cable up behind yeah. him. I yeah. did that all through like college, and one time you, they, you were a best boy or key grip or something like that. <laughs> I was exactly that, and okay. so uh, Bill Clinton was speaking at an event one time that I was running cable at, and I am running full speed behind the cameraman who, because my full speed is not what you would imagine. It's not that fast. Um, <laughs> this wasn't at the height of your diving training. No, 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 no. This was right at the beginning. I uh, I'm running full speed, and all of a sudden a hand just hits my chest. And I stop cold, and it is a gigantic Secret Service agent. And Bill Clinton walks, like, right in front of me. And I was like, had that guy not stopped me, I would have just plowed over Bill Clinton. And we would have been watching that viral video right now. You know, that's, <laughs> that's really not a good story. What do you If mean? you had run into him, that yeah. would have been a good story. A famous person walked by you in a hall. That's I, the story. No, the funny part... I don't know oh, that it's funny. Henry Cameron came today. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm, not I'm, a good still, story. I'm still putting the piece. Like, I'm still thinking about, like, the pool leak detection. Like, that's the most important job you could possibly want if you're into high diving. <laughs> like, if there's a leak in the pool, the one guy that's got to know is the one who's jumping off a 25-foot platform, you know? <laughs> I mean, it does make really good sense. It really does. Anyway, oh. continue. Jesse, who's no. the most famous person you've ever <laughs> met? Uh, or or I mean, walked by in a hall. <laughs> or almost ran into Cameron. <laughs> <this thing. laughs> uh, I was recently uh, in the city of Washington, D.C., uh, and that's in close proximity to a president, Eddie, so that's pretty cool, right? That was really <laughs> neat. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I met Russell Brand one time. He's Whoa, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's in, really a, cool. in a comic store or something. Yeah, it, it was in... Uh, you guys probably been there, Amoeba in oh, LA. Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we were on the top floor where they have like the store. used DVDs and stuff. And uh, he was just uh, rifling through. Uh, he just walked up. I was looking through DVDs, and he walked up, and we started chatting about. Uh, he picked, he was going to purchase like the, all these old episodes of The Simpsons. So we talked about The Simpsons for like ten or fifteen minutes. He's a really cool, dude. That's a really good one. That's a good one. Shauna was your most famous person, uh, President Clinton. Up. Probably. Um, Bono, maybe. Oh, that's really cool. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah, Bono's pretty famous. Yeah. What, was he cool? Super cool. And he uh, he was, like, super charming and, like, kissed my hand. And my husband was like, oh, sure, he's a rock star and he's so charming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was darling, yeah. Oddly, he kissed my hand when we met. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the thing, I, I, I wasn't going to mention about the Russell Brand thing, uh, but I also got a hand kiss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cameron, who's the most famous person you've ever met? I, okay. I, I, I mean, the president. Sure. This week. Sure. Yeah. Are we not going to talk but about that? I mean, that's, I mean, but that's well, not the first time you've met him. I mean, you've talked to him on the podcast before. Right. I interviewed the president right. for this podcast. Who's the most famous person in the world right now? Is it the president? The Pope. Pope. The Pope. Maybe. Famous or powerful? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I, I, I'm having a hard time answering because like, in the Christian music scene, I mean, like, <laughs> right. I'm talking like big deal. Like, I kind of freaked out. I met Amy Grant when I was like, it was like 96. Yeah. I mean, I freaked out about that. Yeah. That was like, yeah. That was whoa. big time. You guys want to hear something crazy? Matt I Powell. worked with a guy one time who was like cousins with her husband or something. Amy Grant, guys. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and but I'm, I'm talking about like who's the most recognizable figure in the planet? No, no, not power. Just like I would say, Obama. 
Obama or, or the Pope or the Pope, or Pope. the Pope. I yeah. mean, the Pope. I'm thinking like if you're in Africa, whose faces do you see painted on the side of a building? You would see yeah. Obamas and you would see the Popes. Okay, yes. Uh, you, do you know who? This was a couple years ago. Who the most famous athlete in the world was, like globally? Michael Jordan. No, it was John Cena, the wrestler. Oh wow. What? What? Yeah, it's like professional wrestling in other parts of the world is like this was probably like two or three years ago is is huge, and they're like they're on T-shirts and uh, you know all this crazy merchandise. All and John Cena was the most recognizable athlete on the entire planet. I met wow. the uh, million dollar man Ted DiBiase one time. Hey, that's pretty. Cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of which, rest in peace, Ultimate Warrior. I know. Hard yeah, week for that all was of sad. us. So I was into wrestling for about three months in sixth grade. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and in those three months, I became a huge Ultimate Warrior fan. That he was like ruled. the only one that I loved. Oh yeah. yeah. He ruled. Yeah. Jake the Snake. That guy was awesome. Yeah, that was the same era. And Million Dollar Man and uh, the, the Hart Brothers. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> you want to hear something weird? I've met everybody we've named. You know why? Because where I grew up. You walk by them in a hall? Shut up. God, <laughs> how do I how do I murder you on the show? Somewhere. <laughs> Shut up. I almost ran into him. He was a president. <laughs> I don't freak out about meeting famous people. I freak out about meeting celebrity or uh, athletes. Athletes are yeah. the thing that like I turn into a twelve year old kid, mm-hmm. and I'll never not like yeah. I. There will be a line for autographs, and it will be all thirteen year old boys and me. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> still, uh, it's sad. Do, do you know what the weird thing is? Like, because now we're all at the age where we're older than a lot of the athletes who we we really admire and look up to. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. feels like now it's starting to be like creepy to me. You I'm know, actually, where I'm aware of how many professional athletes are still older than me. Because, right. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know yeah. the number. Right. And I'm watching them retire one by one. And I'm yeah. going, pretty soon, I'm last man standing. And this well, is I just weird. <laughs> but because it feels weird to get, like, giddy over someone who was, like, 14 when you were in college, yeah. you know? Because isn't there part of you just deep down inside, you're like, you know what? If things just start to not work out at a church or or relevant, maybe I'll just get back out there, start running, my training. high dive career. Yeah, maybe yeah, I'll m- jump back maybe, on my high dive. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll just get back into it. I always think that when I go, like when I go speak at a college campus, I still think of myself as like just very narrowly post college. You know, like I just finished yeah. this season of my life. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I get to the campus and I'm like, oh, these are baby people. Yeah, wow. I'm a hundred. College kids look people. like they're in middle school to me. Right. Totally. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Someone just asked me to speak at a retreat, and it's for like the college age, uh, college and post college uh, group at our church. And he literally said to me, "I mean, these girls, they totally they love you, and they want to be like you in like twenty years." And I was like, "Hold the phone, twenty years." Yeah. You're like, "Well, actually, <laughs> unless they're in middle school, I'm so mad at you right now." Yeah. Okay. So, years. so I have more questions, but I will tell you about uh, DC. It was. This is a weird thing. It was a weird day because I've been to this White House prayer breakfast uh, three or four times now. Yeah, me too. And it's and it's and it's amazing, right? And it's amazing. It's yeah. it's so special, and everyone to lose the, you know, the fact that you know you're there and you're in the Roosevelt Room and you're. I mean, it's crazy. But the awesome thing about the day was not going to the White House and being, you know, in a prayer breakfast. The awesome thing was I ran to Bob Goff there. And I didn't know he was going to be there. He didn't know I was going to be there. And it was like, freaking hey, Bob Goff, yeah. And sure enough, let's right go. when it's over, Come Bob on. goes, hey, let's get in a cab. He's like, what are you doing now? I was like, nothing. What are you doing? And he's like, let's get in a cab and go, I don't know, do stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, sir. 
Yeah. And we jumped in a cab and we spent the rest of the day together. And it's like it's like meeting Peter Pan. Like, I'm telling let's you, like go on an adventure. He is such somebody that I've admired, and he's a hero of mine. And like to to be able to spend the day with somebody who's legitimately a hero of yours, mm-hmm. and it's just like the two of you and you're talking for hours and it's like it was so impactful to me when i got home a friend of mine like texted me was like so how was your day you know mm-hmm. knowing where i was and i was like oh my god bob i, I spent the whole day with bob goffin and then he goes weren't you at the white house like i didn't even mention it i forgot <laughs> because the whole day was like bob right and uh can he, you give us the play-by-play What'd you what did you do i mean nothing crazy i mean we went to um he he started texting people that he knows he knows very important people ambassadors and the head the guy who's at the department of justice who is the top guy who fights like trafficking and like child i mean the heavy stuff bob just like texts him and he's like hey i'm here i want to see you and and the guy's like well i'm with my family and they were going to mount vernon because it was spring break with the kids and he's like but no I, we're going to change our plans and we're going to come hang out. And so we went to like this weird barbecue place where you like order meat by the pound. Dude, and it's, just it, like it was, a, it's just like House of Guards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. yeah. Right, right, right. And, uh, and then uh, and so we did that and then we went and he was texting like ambassadors and people he knew and we, we got a cab and we just like had him for the afternoon. We had the cab. And so we would go to places. We'd go in. Bob would go in there, hug these very important people who are in the middle of meetings, you know, talk for 30 seconds and we would leave and the cab's out waiting for us out front. We would go do other stuff. I mean, it was like the whole day it was just stuff like that. But the craziest part was like, like I was asking him so many things that I've always wanted to ask him. And he was so like talking to me about the season of life that I'm in and about my son and just to hear like, um, you know, things that he was doing, like while we were at the white house, I put this on, on Instagram, but like uh, while we were at the white house, he goes, you need to leave something here. Oh yeah. That was cool. And I was like, what he goes mm-hmm. he goes this is what some i've done with my kids like he's like they're gonna um they're gonna disappoint you when they get older they're gonna upset you they're gonna get into trouble they're gonna do things and he said in those moments as a parent i just chose that rather than them being moments of correction and whatever like i wanted to have something else and so for their whole lives i would go and i would write them notes or i would forgive them and i would write it down and i would go bury it somewhere and i have like gps like literally with all these things buried and I know where they are. And so if, you know, my son, you know, he was three and I went out in a field and I buried this note to him, the future him. And, um, and, uh, so like when he's 14, he got into trouble, I would get him and we'd get in the car and we would go to that place that 11 years earlier, I wrote to him in this moment and we would dig up that thing together. And in that moment, I talked about the fact that, you know, I forgive you and I love you. And this is the man who you are. And I mean, like, it was just like this, foresight like where he, bob was like always conscious of 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 speaking to the future of his children and their legacy and their destiny and 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 he was like and and other things i'll do is like if i find myself in a situation where i'm like in this crazy place and like whatever i'll leave a memento behind and i will come back one day with my child and get it and let mm-hmm. them know that in that moment when i was with the president I was thinking about you. Where do you hide something at the White House? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, please <laughs> I feel like tell that's me. That's a risky play. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, please tell me you hid a note in the White House that Cohen's going to have to retrieve. It was taped in the bottom of a folding chair. Yeah. I'll so, yeah. definitely like, go back and get that. So, yeah, Cohen, there, there is a pound of meat with a note under it waiting for you somewhere in the White House. I had them, cellophane, I had them cellophane wrap my dessert. But he was like, oh. he was like, you know, just talking. I mean, really, he was just talking about the fact that, like, let your kids know that they're always with you and speak like 
speak life-affirming things over them, like, like proactively, you know, like don't react in the moments, you know, that life gives you. And, and so be intentional about it. And so I, it just gripped me. And so like I'm sitting there and the president was sitting six feet from me in, in this prayer breakfast. And like, there was a, you know, like a, my name card with the presidential seal on it at the table. And I just took it and I wrote a note to Cohen and I wrote a note to Cohen that I'm going to give him in 10 years, you know, or whenever that it's like, you know, I'm not going to share what I said, but I mean, just like this consciousness, like the thing that struck me and the why this simple little thing moved me so much was like, when I was growing up, my dad was gone all the time for business. Like he was always traveling. I mean, he was a great family and, you know, we have a great family and stuff, but I mean, he's always gone. And as a kid, I always felt like I was not number two, but like number 20 because Mm -hmm. whatever was out there was more important than me. And it's like, I'm not going to always be able to be with Cohen. I'm going to have to travel. I'm going to have to whatever. But to like make sure that he always knows that he's always with me and he is absolutely my top priority. The, you know, the fact that I'm sitting six feet from the president, but I'm writing a note to the person who's the most important person in the world to me, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and I'll, I'll save that and I date it and like, he'll know, you know, he'll know that his entire life, his dad loves him, you know, that just, I mean, that just changes things, you know, for me, it was so simple, but it was like junk like that all day. Bob is just like, doling out these like telling these stories of things that he just does that's not in the book and you know like people don't know some of this stuff and it was just so that was my day that was unbelievable that's really cool I think what's so fascinating about him is the stories that you hear about him or the initial experiences are so um like present and spontaneous and silly but then when you listen to him talk there's a plan, like there's a strategy, like I do this because it communicates love to this person. He he has so much more of a really intentional, defined way of living Absolutely. than you sometimes observe. There's a plan for why he does everything. And I love that. The, the thing about like, okay, in the lowest moment that your child's going to experience or the time that they got bullied or the time that, you know, they got suspended or the thing, whatever, like in that moment is when you show them how they are loved and who they are. You know, the thing that like for their whole life, this moment doesn't define you. This this note or this thing, that defines you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is so, absolutely he's taken the long view. Like it's, everybody's like, oh, it's whimsy and he's funny. It's strategic whimsy. It is absolutely intentional. And I mean, everything about his life is like that. He, I mean, just things like he would, he was, we were talking about, money and we were talking about career and we we're talking about whatever and he's helping me figure things out for the next 10 20 years of my life you know mm-hmm. and he was like he's fi- he just turned 55 which he said in that interview last week and uh on the podcast and 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 i'm 38 now and so he asked me he said, how old are you i said 38 he goes okay you're a three i'm in i'm a five he's like mm-hmm. um like i you like he's 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 like aware of the fact that like uh you need to be pouring into ones and twos you know, and like he has positioned his life to as a five to pour into threes and to into twos. I mean, like he's just like in each zone of life you're in, there's there's something that you can do for others that you couldn't before. Yeah. And you have to live your life intentionally. And so mm-hmm. he talked about the fact that he doesn't have savings accounts and investment accounts yeah. and stuff like that. He invests his resources into generosity and into his family. And, and, and he said, you know, like for me, if, when I had investment accounts, it's like, I would watch the stock market every day. And it was like, it's just distracted me from living in the moment. And he said, the most freeing thing was when I emptied those accounts and, and by having those accounts empty, it keeps me 
hungry. Like uh, he's not lacking for anything, but I mean, like he keeps him focused on, well, what is it that God's wanting me to engage in in this season of my life? Mm-hmm. You know, versus sitting on my accounts. Yeah. You know, and like little things like that are just like so formative, and he's so intentional about that. So everybody's like, oh, just spontaneously he cuts a check to so and so, and no. He does it for a bigger reason, you know, mm-hmm. like both how it affects his life. He carries things around. Like he had just, for the last few weeks or months, he had been carrying a bucket. He didn't, he didn't on Monday, he didn't have it, but he'd been carrying a bucket. And he said, he's very tactile. He needs like reminders. So like if you go to his house, there's a curio cabinet of like all these like moments, these mementos and moments from the family and just, you know, minor things. And, but he, those tangible reminders like are so defining for him. And uh, so he said he was he was in Africa, he was in Uganda or somewhere, and there was a child who had the, a little bucket, and it was like literally everything they owned or everything that was important to them was in that bucket. Mm-hmm. And it so struck him, he started carrying a bucket. And it was a reminder that no matter what situation uh, he was in, like, what are you filling your bucket with, you know? And so, uh, like, he, he gave story after story of, like, moments he was in where he, he was feeling prideful, or he was, not he wasn't feeling prideful, but he, like, the bucket reminded him of like, what am I filling my bucket with right now in this meeting, whatever, well, pride and self-centeredness and things like that. And like, he carries things around to like continually keep himself humble and his heart aware of others and things like that. It's just, really- just amazing. Not to give away any personal information, but like uh, Bob, when Sean and I were up at the lodge uh, with their family last summer, he shared, you know, because I'm fascinated with, like, how, how do you be, I mean, like, how did you become you? You're not normal, you know? Like, this, like, completely outrageous love and generosity and kindness that you show selflessly and sacrificially to everybody you encounter, that is not normal. Like, what do you do when you have a bad day? How did you become like this? And uh, he he told the story of, like, he come, he had a very hard family situation growing up and came from a very wounded place. Mm-hmm. and And that he chose along the way I could either repeat the patterns that I grew up with, or I could do a 180. And he decided that his family was going to be completely different than what he experienced himself. Yeah. And I, you know, at some level, there's probably the I I want to love others, hoping that they'll love me back. You know, probably at some level, maybe yeah. not. But maybe he just said, "I just want to chart a new course." And I and and it just like. That's how Bob Goff became Bob Goff, and it was out of a place of deep pain, you know? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, for him, it really sounds like it's a place of, like, I want to love people the very best I can, but... Because he felt unloved. Right. You know, at one point in his life. But because of that, and I'll speak now for myself and not for Bob, but it's like, that's why, you know, when there's something insulting that said, it hurts more because it goes back to an old, old Old woundedness, you know? And so it's an interesting thing to watch. Um, Yeah, Shauna. Well, and it's such an interesting, you know, my husband is a, you know, musician and songwriter and, and, and worship leader. And, and he always says, you know, uh, you don't just find yourself on a stage with a microphone. You get up there because you need it on some level. Huh. And then God can use it and, 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 and it can be incredibly helpful for the church or for the whatever. But uh, those of us who find ourselves with microphones or stages or voices or something like that, there there is a particular psychology to that, I think, every time. And mm-hmm. it's not wrong, but it's, um, you know, very rarely do you find someone who has like an incredibly large voice in our culture who's like, I don't know, I just stumbled into it. It's not really important to me. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. something behind that. And, th- and that's okay. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we got to finish, but if you could just cough 
twice if you visited his underground cool lair in Washington D.C. Where <laughs> it's uh, the yes beneath the White House. So, so all that to honestly tell you guys, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to go to the gift shop. I didn't get your well, robes. I was what? that was my next question. That is complete. Because do we have, do we if have you, a beeper listen, ready? you didn't have time. If you're done shaking the hands with the president and Bob Goff grabs your arm and says, "Let's go grab a cab and have some adventures." You go yeah, with you Bob say, Goff. Hey, not, Bob, I well, have to buy some bathrobes. Bo- yeah. <laughs> Bob. Love I, does, I, doesn't it? I love my friends. Also, can I put the pens in your bucket? Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm sure glad you had that bucket because it's going to be pretty sweaty carrying around this robe all day. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, the, my plan right now was just to wear the robe throughout the day. So thankfully, you do have a bucket. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you how mad I am be- because I think that Chad does not actually bleep everything. Um, but <laughs> it would be a string of expletives right now. If if I were to call Bob Goff on, and give him a real piece of my mind about this robe situation, would he answer? Yes, he, he would oh, answer. Oh, that's the other thing. I was with him for from 10:30 to 3:30. How long is that? Five hours. Literally, no matter he could, he was talking to an ambassador. His, he felt the phone vibrate in his pocket. He picked it up. Hey, it's Bob Goff, and uh, he said, "Just a second. You know, he talked on the phone. Sure enough, somebody from the book calling him. And uh, we were walking down the hall in the White House, and he hands me the phone. He goes, "My friend Cameron's right here. I want to talk to him." And uh, and he goes, "This is Catherine. Say hi." And I was like, "Hello." And then he goes, tell her where you are. And I'm like, uh, we're in the White House. And then she screams. She's like, what? And I was like, oh. And I go, oh, you you called the number in the book. I couldn't believe this. All day long, he's answering the phone from people Literally the throughout the day. So, so, like, literally, I'm watching this happen. And I go, Bob, I can't believe this. I assumed you had two phones. Like, you carried two phones. Right. And you would do the, my wife's calling or a judge's calling phone. And you would have the what? public phone. Why would a judge call? Oh, well, he's a lawyer. lawyer. Okay. A massive law firm. I thought, what a well, weird example. he's like, is he in trouble with the law? Say, wait, 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 wait. He's wrapped wait, wait. up in a pretty serious and legal the other, So everybody calls the same phone, and he turned off caller ID. He doesn't want to know who's calling because no, he wants to. he turned off caller ID. He always wants to say, hi, this is Bob. And it could be his his daughter in a you know, had a car wreck and it could be somebody from the book. And he always answers the phone. I, I adore him, but that's where he loses me. I hate talking on the phone, and the idea of not having caller ID is like a nightmare scenario for me. <laughs> I, I, there are a lot of things I would love to do to be a more loving person, but I literally, I, I, I can vouch. I vetted it all day long. I was watching, it and he, there was, I didn't see once where I was aware of the phone vibrating or ringing that he did not answer. Well, it. you must have had him in a good mood because he said on the on the interview right. last week that the only times he doesn't answer his phone is if he doesn't. He's having a bad. Yeah, day. he's having a bad day and doesn't want to put that on the other person. He said. So he, you must have had him in a good mood. He was in. A, well, he just met the president. Well, he, that's true. Freaking Chad. Okay, call. lightning round. We got to move on. <laughs> lightning round. Uh, so uh, one sentence answers. Who are your role models? Jesse, go. Who are your role models? Uh, like just in, in life. Who are your role models? <laughs> uh, my dad. There you I go. Uh, Shauna. Uh, Anne Lamott. Gwen Stefani. Chad. Barefoot Contessa. Gwen Stefani. Good three. Oh, that's a really good three. Chad. This is really difficult. I, I'm gonna go Rick Warren and and Bob Goff. Uh, for real. Do you have to know your role model like personally? It's a role model. Define it however you will. Eddie. Uh, the only one I can think of is Wendell Berry. I mean, he's the only single. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to get more, but that's that's he's been the most inspiring person in my whole life. Uh, okay, really? lightning, lightning does he have to be living? No. Oh, cool. Jesus. Next role model. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> uh, I, well, uh, Chesterton. I've always everything yeah. about him: career, his work ethic. 
There you go. Okay. It's an intellectual appetite. There you go. Lightning round. Yeah. When you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? We know Eddie's high diver. <laughs> <laughs> Christian rapper. I had a notebook full of raps, man. Yeah. That was my dream. I wanted to be a musician. I, th- I thought I'd be in a rock band or something. I, uh, at eight years old, started Cameron Industries, and we... We're Put out uh, newsletters. We uh, were a pub- <laughs> we were going to do publishing, um, retail, and theme parks. That was that was my company. You're a third of the way there. <laughs> yeah, the two par- yeah, two thirds. You can buy a mug. This is relevant. Uh, my Jesse? childhood dream. I think I said this before. Was independent wealth. <laughs> just to be. Hi, I'm just Gary. Independently wealthy. Thank you, Eddie. No, I really wanted to be a rock star. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. true. Okay, all right, lightning round. What makes you laugh the hardest? Uh, I wanted to be a writer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, did you? I did, totally. Good for you, Shana. A novelist, though. Hmm. And I still would like to be a novelist, yeah. Hmm. Ooh, do so, you know your first fiction work? I, I kind of do, and I'm Shana. really excited about it. But I think I have to wait till I'm a lot older. I don't think I no, have the Shana. necessary gravitas. I yes, up, you do. I, I was laying in bed last week, and for some reason, an idea for a fictional book hit me like or a movie is it about a young 30 something publisher <laughs> who be who be friends bob Cameron golf Industries. one day in dc <laughs> so here's Shauna, mine. you should start writing on yeah. his 16th writing, birthday man. a boy gets a letter from his father wait for it that's hidden in the white house <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't it's understand gonna be good. it's a I, nicholas said, cage movie yeah, yeah, i don't understand and we don't have to get into this why it's better to go get a note that your dad left in the middle of a field in iowa versus him just giving it to you and saying hey i saved this for 10 it years it was like the journey of it like you're going out there together uh, you're alone you dig I'm it up da- together. I'm down. I feel Keep like going. kids, kids yeah. are going to grow up in like a Cameron Crow. Driving like they're going to go there. on like a Cameron Crow adventure I at just, some point. I just have a friend who uh, I have a friend who's the oldest of five brothers. He is his four other brothers, and his dad just went down Route 66 together, one car, and just have done. I'm like that so, is the coolest thing. So I told awesome. I told Bob I was like, hey, I just got my after being at the lodge. I just I went I got my motorcycle license. I'm just I'm gonna yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do this. And he goes, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, uh, I had him and Adam when Adam, his son, was 15. This was a few years ago, and a couple of his other sons. Uh, they they all got motorcycles in Mexico and drove up to Seattle. The coolest. I'm like so fun. You suck. And, That's and, not. It's a good one up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a motorcycle license at a Saturday morning course. Yeah, he's like, I drove. Well, yeah, from he's Mexico like, what are you gonna do with Seattle? He's like, what are you gonna do with that? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, get a bike. And he's like, cool, because what I did when, yeah, yeah, I was like, dang, it. I'm gonna legally drive my Vespa to work now. All right, next question. Here we go. What makes you laugh the hardest? What makes you laugh the hardest? Incredibly awkward things. Like when someone is like, like, like almost it, running into Bill Clinton yeah, or like Shut finding up. a single child shoe in your attic. No, 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 not terrifying. Like, like if someone's on, like, this is bad. It's probably indicative of a, something wrong with me. But like if someone like is on stage and is bombing <laughs> and it's not like on purpose and it's just really, how about the guy? Oh, oh, wait, that, so you like Michael Scott. Laughter. I'll throw up crying. I'll cry. So oh my hard gosh. And, like, <laughs> I would go, mute the office when they got into those scenes with Michael Scott. I can't handle that. Yeah. When I listened, when I listened back to Shauna telling the story of her throwing candy and it not working, I was like <laughs> heaving because I just imagined them like mad at her and she's kind of sweating and it's not working and she's like that whole I love uncomfortable comedy. There you go. Okay, what makes you laugh the hardest? 
Uh, I would like to say something really high-minded, but I'm going to be dead honest. When I watch a video of someone like falling or do, or like attempting, like mostly like when someone's attempting to do something that's going to be really funny, and then they fall in the process and they're hurt but not really hurt, I always laugh at that. Always. Like I'd love to say. You know, some high-minded comedian or, or, or reading like rich satire or something, but I'm not gonna lie. America's Funniest Home Videos gets me laughing every time. You and Brienne, holy smoke, she will. And cry. my husband Aaron, uh, yeah, yeah, he will watch people falling down all day long. It's his favorite. <laughs> yeah. Or like watching people walk into a glass door that they don't know is there. That is funny, especially if they're carrying a beverage that gets crushed. Oh, oh my gosh! It's the it's literally the best thing in the world. My, Maya was a sucker for the uh, wedding ones where people would oh. fall at weddings. Oh, oh they're, so, the they're always like right next to a pool and a bridesmaid yeah. falls or, in. Or they're, they're doing the full photo shoot on like the dock and the dock collapses. Yeah, and stuff. Totally. my favorite We're, ones are the ones that sort of happen in slow motion, like they're all standing like on a canoe or something, and it starts rocking. Like the look on their face when they know it's gonna happen. There's nothing better. Chad. Chad, what about you? Probably, I mean, probably anything related to Will Ferrell. He just makes me laugh. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, a movie, him on a late night television show, I just think he's absolutely hilarious. Shauna? Um, I, I like little kids stuff. I like funny little kids. The first <laughs> thing I thought of is, well, Will Ferrell, my son Mac does the Will Ferrell tight pants dance Love all it. the way through That's with all the words. So, so good. And That's unbelievable. It destroys me. That is awesome. That is pretty Mac. great. All right, what's the... What about you, Camtastic? I it, I was trying to think, like, I'm not somebody who, like, watches television and, like, laughs out loud. I think that's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like... <laughs> like your sure windows down and your neighbors hear you just belly laughing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 I was playing it back. I, the thing that I laugh hardest about is, is uh, this podcast. Like, when I laugh the hardest, it's in this room. Hmm. Oh, that's good. I, I do laugh pretty hard on this on this show too. How do you but do, I mean, man? like I've lost my breath. I was laughing so hard. Some run Jesse got on, you know. So <laughs> anyway, what's the, okay? This last one, then we'll move on. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? One sentence go. I'd say love too much. <laughs> uh, this this one time, um, uh, my dad told me that there was a note for me hidden in the White House. <laughs> And I had to avail. <laughs> I had to uh, uh, sneak around Secret Service, but uh, no. Um, Shana, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Uh, either finish a book or run a, run a marathon. Oh, wow. Finish a book is harder. How about, how about this one, Eddie? I'm just going to lob this out there. Have yeah. you ever beaten the Rainbow World level <laughs> at Mario Kart without falling off one time? <laughs> I mean, there's no rails on it, it's dude. It's impossible. It's so it's hard. You just slip. Impossible. You slip off the side, and you feel like you're good, and then all of a sudden you get yeah. jolted. It's like, dude, I'm winning. I'm winning. No turtle shells. Crap. Took that one. <laughs> took that. Took that last turn a little hot. Uh, Chad, know? what's the hardest thing you've ever done? I'm gonna future cast and say edit this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Cameron, did you say yours? No. no. Um, um, I'd say start a start a company. Start a company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm still 14 years in. I'm still hard. So, well, you're learning a lot of lessons for your theme park. Right. Theme park, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. That next one will be easier. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, Eddie, I, you've been thinking this whole time. Uh, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Um, this morning at CrossFit, we had to do 10 push ups. Shut up. <laughs> you go to CrossFit? <laughs> yeah, I do CrossFit. Don't you read you my tweets? CrossFit and you're a vegan? I this body is a temple, Shauna. Um, so yeah, I do. Those are like the two most 
like things that people like to talk about the most right. of anything. Right. That's yeah. the thing that's so confusing about you. Is like, you don't talk about either. Well, of those. Yeah, it's like that joke. How do you know if somebody's a vegan? Right. Right. Uh, yeah, just wait two minutes. I'll tell you. Yeah. I've known this since right like before. Like I think my main aversion to veganism and CrossFit was like, oh god, now I got to tweet about it all day. Like, oh gosh, I killed the wad this morning. I totally RX'd out on it. And blah blah blah. Don't fall. Yeah, bur- burpees. <laughs> blah blah blah. Shipping <laughs> pull ups. Reebok. Blah blah. Paleo. <laughs> Blah, blah. The worst thing that ever happened to my Instagram feed is when Carlos Whitaker got a GoPro <laughs> camera, and everything he posts is uh, time lapse stuff of him on jumping on boxes and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I post about it, but mostly just self deprecating jokes, like at seven a.m. as I'm driving home and just threw up. So yeah, <laughs> it's pretty hard. The only, the only times I've done CrossFit involved me throwing up. So it is literally the hardest thing. It's crazy. I just yeah, I don't like to be yelled at at a, at a pretty deep level, like ever. So no, I feel like it's not really my thing. No, no, no. My guy is actually an, an, an addictions counselor by day. He does CrossFit. He teaches CrossFit. And he's just like this super cool, quiet guy that is really nice. And every once in a while, he'll like he'll see me struggling. And he'll come up and he'll just be like, Eddie, I need you to go beast mode. And I'm like, yes, that totally worked. See, I just get angry and angry and like, bro, that doesn't work with me. Seriously, do not say one other word to me right now. Or yeah, that, throw that's this how I box. get. I'm a little bit like, really, you're the boss of me? You own me? I can walk away right now. And they're like, I'm oh, paying okay. you. Yeah. You don't tell me what to do. Yeah. I get like belligerent. I get so wait a minute, you're telling me the jump rope's got to go under my feet twice in one jump. And you're going to yell at me when I don't do it? No, Dude, thanks, Jack. I'm out of here. Those double unders are no joke. That is really yeah, hard to I do. I whip my shins four times. You say one word to me and see what happens, pal. I'm that way with with our printer. I mean, like, <laughs> I really am. I'm like, they get all like, oh. Hey, wait, hey, ha- just for just for uh, context here, you're not talking about a physical printer. You're talking about the company that is paid to print the magazine. Yeah, yeah. We sp- we give them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They, they, they you know, do our magazine and they get all like, you have to have your column in by Friday at two. And I'm like, I'm paying you. I'll give you. I'm hiring you to, I, you don't tell me. You can't I'm handle a little the truth. workout right now. <laughs> I've already got one. I got already had this dude in my ear. Did you order the code red? Cool. I'll hire you. I'm hiring you. I will give you my file and then I will pay you to do stuff with it. You don't tell me. You should just print in house. You should just get like a hundred little printers in here or something and just staple it all together. <laughs> hey, I think I w- clearly we should go a field trip to CrossFit and just see what happens one time. Yeah, I, I really would love to do uh, all I of you guys sh- at CrossFit. Eddie has a lovely shut workout down. and the other three of us end up in jail. I would okay. shut down halfway through and just stare him down. You stop yelling at me. I threw I threw up and cried the first time. Like, I it, would was, be like, it was real throw up and real tears. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd look at Ryan the trainer like, I'd be like, hey man, is this the honor system? Like sets and reps or whatever? Yeah, okay, I'm done. Cool, cool, yeah. I did. Like a new record. I did right on the board. Cool, man. See you tomorrow. <laughs> right, and then you, you post some time-lapse GoPro thing of somebody jumped on boxes. Yeah, I'm just eating a bunch of egg whites tonight, so it's all good. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to use my food scale and measure out some almonds. I'm all good. See you, see you, see you, beast. I actually went to a party on Saturday night, and my trainer was there. And at a certain point, she hand she was passing out cake, and she was hand- and I was looking at her like, "Is this a trick? Are you handing me cake? This is going to backfire on me. What's yeah. happening right now?" You, you, so. <laughs> this is a test. Yeah, you're everywhere. I was like, no, thank you. Wait, yeah, I want some later, but not when she's looking. <laughs> right, <laughs> just leave a piece, and I'll come back with my kids in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a delicious piece of cake hidden in the White House. <laughs> but wait for it. It's hidden in the White House. 
I put a note inside of a piece of cake. <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound too bad, but wait for it. <laughs> I'll give you a clue when you see him a picture of the White House and point to it. Well, I was trying to tell Cohen, who's four, I was trying to tell him like, where I was going on my trip. And he, and he didn't understand the White House. I, and I had money. And I was like, I'm going to this, the thing, the picture on the dollar, on the $10. And he flipped it over. And I said, this is where the president lives and stuff. And he goes, is that the president? And it was Andrew Jackson. I was like, um. Kind of. Yeah, well, like, it's tough to explain. But he lived there, sure. Yeah, he lived. Um, this one guy that Eddie walked by one time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. Good story. Good story. All right. It's time for entertainment releases. Music coming out on Tuesday, April 22nd. The eels, eels are coming out with the cautionary tales of Mark Oliver Everett. That's Some, something fishy about that title. Eels. Uh, oh. <laughs> Why else do we pick eels? These? Got it. Yeah. Uh, they're not really fish. I don't think. I don't know. Dude, this week on Naked and Afraid, they oh. were having to go down the river, <laughs> and monitor lizards that were four feet long were wow. chasing after them in the water, and they were like holding onto a log, and they were up to their neck, and the monitor lizards were coming, and then there were eels. Oh, oh my! Were gosh. you Snapchatting with all your friends about that? <laughs> <laughs> Neon Trees coming out with Pop Psychology. Bethel Music is coming out with uh, You Make Me Brave. Uh, but the album right now, for the week leading up to the release, the album is streaming uh, for free on The Drop at RelevantMagazine.com. It's really good. Uh, movie release is coming out Friday, April 25th. The Other Woman, the Cameron Diaz, Kate Upton. Uh, nope, not watching Probably that. Probably not. Next. And right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Quiet Ones uh, is also coming out, and Lock. That's the Tom not much. one. Yeah, not much. Okay, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Stay tuned. Up next, slices. You're listening to Need to Breathe. The song is Feet Don't Fail Me Now. It's from their new album, Rivers in the Wasteland, which is streaming right now on The Drop. And it's really great, by the way. Yeah. I love it. I super love it. And I like this song in particular. It's good stuff. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Play-Doh and DJ Sean P with Bust It from their new album, Gold Tips, which is also streaming on The Drop. We are bringing some amazing music right now for free. I guess my tweet to you, Chad, did not not make it. Yeah, Eddie wanted me to start the show with... uh, uh, Africa by yeah, Toto. By Toto, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what is he doing? He saw how good the hip hop selections two weeks ago were. Right. That he's like, man, I'm going to keep the party going. Got to keep right. it up, man. So, well, I'm pretty sure we liked Africa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you do your show, I'll do mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for slices. Uh, this segment is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. It's an amazing service and tool that we use. Uh, I built relevantmediagroup.com using a square using Squarespace, and um, it's it took me like an afternoon, and it looks 
amazing. Am I correct to assume Oscars.biz was on? Oscars.biz was. I need to shut that account down, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm paying every month on it. Um, But I did get 10% off. Uh, For a free trial and 10% off your initial order, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code RELEVANT at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. It's simple and easy. They have great drag-and-drop designs. 24-7 24-7 support and plans start at 8 bucks a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And all their sites are responsive, so they look great on mobile, too. If you want to check it out, use promo code RELEVANT at squarespace.com and you'll get 10% off. Okay, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, so you guys may remember uh, back in January, we talked about how beards were becoming so popular that they were actually putting a, a, rig, a real financial strain on the razor industry. <laughs> uh, well, I have good news. It's big news. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have good news for the razor industry. A scientist uh, at the University of New South Wales has conducted a study and found that we are culturally, internationally, at what he has called the beard peak. <laughs> like right, right now, we are at the peak of popularity for beards. And that very soon, they will start to look unattractive. <laughs> and he actually did psychological research, and they showed uh, uh, all these different uh, uh, people, thousands and thousands of pictures of human faces with beards. And he found that the, the, basically the more you encounter them, the less and less appealing and tr- attractive they are. And he says that by his calculations, uh, the beard will be out of style uh, within uh, the next few years. And the clean-shaven face will actually be uh, more appealing uh, for dudes and just uh, more attractive in general. Well, okay. I, have, I, I don't know because, I mean, I agree about the beard trend, but I, I, there was a post going on Facebook this week of uh, five scientifically proven things that guys can do to be more attractive. Scientifically okay. proven. Give them to me. And, and, and <laughs> by, by one, the way, a quick aside that. here. I love the scientists who who spend their time studying this stuff. I'm right. not. I'm not going to remember all five, but one was wear red. Okay. Whoops. Yeah. Two. Really. Yeah. Big muscles. Oh. The the, crap. the female and uh, uh, three. Uh, be a little sweaty. Like apparently, there's a, a pheromone in sweat. That, <laughs> I got that. that is a if, you, if, you if you say if you say grow a beard, I'm going to say James Harden no, did this study. But, but here, but here's what they did regarding facial hair. That scientifically proven, females are more attracted to men who have stubble, like okay. like good thick stubble, not beard, not clean shaven, but stubble, right in between, huh? Because it shows masculinity and 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 you know and restraint, maybe because maybe, you'll just know. have a crazy beard. Yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> stubble. So I think that's going to be the the swing. I think it'll. Wait, go, what's the fifth one? I don't remember. I don't remember. I pray to. To God that it is male pattern I baldness. Also pray to God. <laughs> 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 and, and here a little curveball. Yeah. Male pattern baldness. Yeah. Just kind of that like clean spot in the back and then things are creeping <laughs> up there in the front. Shauna, so, you're you, you can speak for all women. Uh, what, <laughs> what is it? Absolutely. And we hope you clean would. shaven, stubble, or beard. Uh clean shaven or stubble. There you go. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't have strong anti beard feelings, but it's not my like favorite. It's not like, ooh, a beard. Yeah. Here's my problem. I don't think it's like a strong positive. Yeah, I understand. I mean, but uh, like you guys, like you guys drive me crazy because you both would look good. You look good with beards, but then you can I can't shave. Grow a beard. I can't grow a beard. What are you talking about? You I got can't... like a little mini beard going right there. This this is like four months of growth. Jesse grew the, a beard. You're during just looking the show. at whispers right <laughs> now. Growing a beard, Cameron? 
No, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't have to maintain my face. It does not grow into a beard. I look ugly without a beard. This is the problem. I can't have it go out of fashion because, like, when I shave it, I've told you this, I look like Lucy. Oh. And Lucy's beautiful, but she is a baby girl. And I am a grown man with, like, you, you know. Would like look like, you would look like the Gerber child if I, you I were would. clean shaven. I look very soft baby with face. no beard. Yeah. It's very, a very soft chin. If you shave, <laughs> we're going to call you baby face. Yeah, I have very but soft not features. Cool, not in a cool hip hop way. Yeah, like, Lucy looks absolutely. Face with baby. Lucy looks beautiful with her face as it is. I look like a very small child. I'm, but I'm the same way. I, I, I shaved clean one time two or three years ago, and it was probably the first time since college, mm-hmm. and it was like for a wedding or something. It so transformed my appearance. Like, it was it was off-putting. Yeah. Like, it was, it was... I looked young and ugly. I needed something... I needed, like, definition. You need to have that contrast. Yes. You know? Yeah. How did we get off on this? Jesse, what was your thing? I literally have no oh, idea what's beard, happening. Beard I, was industry. I was informing the readers of science. I'm a science nerd, and uh, according <laughs> to science, beards are going to be pretty lame soon. So, All right. What do you have, Eddie? This, uh, this story is... I'm going to file this under uh, things that I will dream about for the rest of my life and hope that they happen. A gentleman okay. named Brian Donaldson, who you may or may not have heard of, uh, started tweeting in 2011, and um, Jesse, Twitter is like an online social platform that people use to connect with and talk back and forth. Uh, if oh, oh, I gotcha. Cool. So, are they, are they, are they real? Are there a lot of smart Alex on there? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, so, it was a way for this guy Brian to have an outlet for his jokes, uh, jokes that didn't quite have a place uh, in maybe his job, uh, which was working at an insurance company in Bloomington, Illinois. So, this guy Brian has been. Tweeting, uh, and he had. Uh, a, I've since read his tweets, and they're incredible. So, um, so just this guy being funny eventually got him forty thousand followers on Twitter and quite a following because he's just really, really hilarious. One of the followers was a gentleman named Alex Baze or Bazi B A Z E. How would you say that? B A Z Baze Alex Baze. As long as we all agree, that's how we're going to do it. I would say Bazai, but go ahead. Alex Bazai uh, started following him and caught his eye. What's so significant about Alex? Alex is the producer for Late Night with Seth Meyers. And so uh, Bazai decided to, uh, when he was getting the writing pool together, he decided to bring in some of his favorite Twitter users as candidates. So he called Donaldson. He called this guy for an interview without uh, realizing that this guy, Donalds, that Brian Donaldson had absolutely zero entertainment industry connection. He didn't have an agent. He didn't have anything. So when he called the guy, he just got the guy. And Brian was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, uh, and then explained it to him. And Did now- he try to sell him insurance at first? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. Um, <laughs> so he had no connection to the comedy world, no connection to anything. And uh, flew, flew him out to New York for an interview. And this guy is a writer now on uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers. And um, he said he was pretty shocked because he looks just kind of like a farm boy. Like he's a tall guy, broad shoulders, and he looks... Scientifically, that's very attractive. Very. He was wearing red. (laughs) Extremely muscular. He was kind of sweaty. He had stubble and... And male powder powder balls. Jesse. (laughs) See, that's why you're so funny. That was so fast. Um, So anyhow... He pounded his fist. Jesse, you frustrate Eddie (laughs) when you beat him to the uh, punchline. Makes me so mad. Which you do every single time. Um, so anyhow, this story, basically this guy was a hilarious Twitterer, and he got a job as a writer on Late Night with Seth Meyers. And so he's moving his family out right now. Like his daughter will join him on the East Coast. And um, and uh, do you know how he told his daughter? 
No. He wrote a note and he hid it at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> All she knows is that the family moved out. I don't know where she is. It's just a picture of the White House in the lawn. She's, she's got to figure out the rest. She's 11. She had to get a ticket to the Easter egg hunt. It's in one of the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she got that one of the dog. Didn't What's that dog's name? I just, I just love this because I think it's just inspires. Uh, I think it inspires people that try to be funny to be funnier uh, on Twitter. And how cool would that be? And get a job. Being I would funny. get. Never I would, know. I mean, that's how. Didn't Tyler? I mean, you said you. I hired Tyler Huckabee as our managing editor because of his Twitter feed. Absolutely, I mean, which is hilarious and odd. It's so great, but he's really funny. Well, he, yeah, was, totally. he, he was a writer for us. He did some freelance and stuff, and the you know the opportunity our managing editor position came open and I sat down with Roxy who was our editorial director at the time and I just said like I just I just feel like we already know the person who's the right fit like they're already writing or whatever it's like who what writers like have stood out and she goes well there's there's a couple but there's this one guy Tyler Huckabee that you know I, I'm a big fan of what he does and so while we're talking I pull up Twitter on my phone and I look for him find him and I'm reading his Twitter feed as she and I are talking and I'm cracking up yeah. And I just thought, okay, come do this for us. Yeah. And I'm sold. Way before I knew you or anybody, I was following Tyler and he was killing me. Yeah. He is, he is, so he is a super funny, funny guy. And so and he, and it's just sharp. And and mm-hmm. that was that works. That 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 skill works on everything we do. Yep. Uh, front matter in the magazine, sharp. You know, uh the he website writes, headlines. Yeah, he sharp. writes the headlines for like two oh one. I don't even try anymore. And just the, like the way he puts He's so brilliant. It's really cool to watch him work. He's so, so uh, yeah, his Twitter feed, I mean, it was like hiring him was a formality. Yeah. It was like, I was sold. Just come do this for us. Yeah. Well, I read, uh, I think, or one of the same articles, Eddie, that um, you're referencing. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they said that was interesting is at this point, when you can look back at two or three years of someone's Twitter feed, mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot more of their jokes than you would if you had even a video of them doing stand-up. Huh. Like, it's an yeah. interesting thing where someone's kind of entire body of work is available in that venue. That's funny. So it doesn't matter that he's never done stand-up. It doesn't matter that he doesn't have a YouTube channel. You can see his track record, which I think is fascinating now. Yeah, and this guy was prolific. They said that, I think I read somewhere, that at some points he would he would tweet as many as 40 jokes a day, and they would wow. kill. 40? I mean, 40. What's his Twitter name? It is the Nardvark, N-A-R-D-V-A-R-K. <laughs> Um, I, I I bought a gun to protect my family from p- prowlers, and so far there are 17 holes in the ice maker in my fridge. <laughs> Love it. Does he have any better ones? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> really? Just late night with Seth Meyers, huh? <laughs> well, if you watched it, you get a Dave Lowe standard. <laughs> Recipe trick. In a pinch, you can substitute Nutella for friends or happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. But that's kind of like kind of the upside of social media and YouTube and how many like musicians and people have gotten discovered because like they just create good content. It's kind of fun to think like we're really crowdsourcing the planet. And if you can just be consistently good at your craft and put it somewhere, someone will find you. My Twitter feed is primarily three things. One is uh, sports people, primarily the sports that I like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the and then, you know, people I know or people who are related to our world. And then the third thing is like all these Twitter comedians, like not actual comedians, just people who are. Have these hilarious Twitter accounts. Yep. Like it might all day long. Just a stream of funny jokes. Yep. It's good stuff. All right. What do you have, Shauna? Okay. So there is this, there's just a prototype at this point. It doesn't actually like you can't buy it, but it's a machine called the Madeline. 
And essentially, it's like, uh, imagine a 35 millimeter camera, except it captures scent. So you get this machine and you bring it to your house and you take some object that smells like something, you know, particular reminds you of something and you put it inside this machine and then you send off the results and they send you essentially like a bottle of perfume of that smell. And the idea is that we live in such a visual world and we've done such a good job of capturing meaningful visual images, but we haven't yet captured uh, like scent and memory images. So you could have a scent of uh, a great vacation you went on or a meal or your grandma's house or something that's meaningful to you. And so that's my question (laughs) is if you could bottle up one scent connected to one memory, what would it be? Well, I don't know that I'd want to wear this scent. No, you, and that's the thing. You don't have to wear it. It's just like to have it to, re- like, I, I think it's sort of like the way you would have a framed picture on your desk. Mm-hmm. It's not like you want to wear it on the t-shirt necessarily, but, but no. you could open that little vial and smell it and be recalled back to this place or time or experience. Isn't that kind of interesting? Uh-huh. I know what mine would be. Okay. My, when I went to, when we went to visit Eve in the care center in Ethiopia, um, they, it's this you know, very sweet care center and all the people are really nice and it smells sweet like, you know, little babies. And, uh, but they would walk around in the middle of the day, they would do coffee for everyone and they would, they kind of, um, like roast the coffee beans as the first part of like the whole coffee ritual. And they would bring around this like smoker into all the rooms and like have all the babies smell the coffee and like that smell of like the coffee and the babies and stuff was like, it was the greatest smell. Hmm. It was was incredible. I can't explain it because you're thinking like, oh, it smells like coffee. It doesn't. It's like roasted. Coffee smoke. Yeah, like coffee smoke, but yeah, also like smoke. babies. Like, and I don't know how it all Baby makes... coffee smoke. Everybody knows what right, so, <laughs> so just, got, got go that. Just go buy that. It's woods. So at Christmas, we're all going to get Eddie a vial of baby coffee smoke. Smell. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Perfectly it normal. It sounds creepy when you just say the name, but the story <laughs> baby, is actually baby very Baby coffee moving. smoke. <laughs> I'll talk to Tyler. He'll figure out a cool way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. It's connected to a really visceral, really meaningful memory. Oh, man. Completely. I like I don't. I can't think of any positive smells. I, I there's negative smells like locker rooms. And no, not locker rooms per se. Although I can still recall my high school Christian high school locker room smell. It was awful. Uh, like it was just old. Just and, kinda, you know. Smells like but repre- like you know smells like repression. You know when you like walk into like a Fazoli's or an older like like a quickie place that's like an older building. It smells like old people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like that smell. Some people are fond of the way their grandparents' house smells, though. Really? Are you? Oh. Well, like my grandma loves to bake, and so it all it often smells like you know cakes or pies. And she also is a really avid gardener, so roses. Her house always smelled like roses. So when I smell oh, roses yeah. now, I think of my grandma. My, oh. my grandparent, my grandparents have one of those Subway bread machines in there, so it's delicious <laughs> all the time. But you, the only thing is, you, when you leave there, you smell like it all day. Yeah. <laughs> like people are like, "Hey, did you go to Subway today?" Nope, just visiting the grandmother. Just Nana's house. <laughs> For me, it would be um, eucalyptus because my co- for me, Jesse, it was my college too. Um, I went to college in Santa Barbara and they have these when you drive up to campus, you're driving from the ocean up into the mountains. And there's these the trees are lined or the streets are lined with these really tall rows of eucalyptus trees. And it's that yeah. super distinct smell. Totally. So anywhere in the world, if I ever smell eucalyptus, I'm immediately back at like my college self and this really important time in my life. And I was making big decisions. And yeah, so like that, that scent just brings me right back. 
I have posted the same picture on Instagram three times in the last five minutes because I keep thinking of better captions. And I delete it and then post it again with a better caption and then I delete it and post it again. <laughs> Which is why he hasn't been participating So what you're in saying your is slice. you're super active listening to me talking about I can my multitask. college experience I, and I, my I, deep sense of... Hey, what, I can what, multitask. What's her smell? I feel like I, feel like <laughs> I should Aaron, get... what's her smell? I feel like I should... Yeah, what it's is... It's a plant. What does she smell? Hold on. Eucalyptus from Santa Barbara. Okay. <laughs> I feel nope, like I should it was get... cherry blossoms in DC from the time her dad <laughs> hid the note in the White House. <laughs> so I can I can multitask with the best of them. I like this morning there was an editorial meeting, but I had to run home and get some props for a video shoot. So I joined the Google Hangout video conference on my phone, held it up so my face was on it the entire time while I'm driving, acquiring the things at the house I needed, and driving back. I was fully participating in the meeting. That is true. I can attest to See? that. See. There a lot go. of people can multitask. Right. I don't know where we're heading with this. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, well, cool. Like, it's normal for me well, to cool. be posting on Instagram while fully engaged on the podcast. Okay, but listen, I sit across the table from you during this podcast, and sometimes when things go silent <laughs> and you're messing around on Candy Crush, I just am like, this slice is going to bomb because you're just going to be like, was that your slice? <laughs> and it was just like, oh, he's, he is deep, deep, deep into something right now. <laughs> yeah, and you look over his shoulder and he's playing Candy Crush. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for slices. <laughs> Y'all are done, right? <laughs> Stay tuned. Up next. I'm sorry. What'd you say, Cameron? Uh, John Mark McMillan. No, I'm a novel made resourceful. I start a chain with my thought. Talk is cheap, my darling. You're listening to Chet Faker. The song is Talk Is Cheap. John Mark McMillan is a singer, songwriter, worship artist from Charlotte, North Carolina. His new album, Borderland, was funded solely by a Kickstarter campaign, and it had more than 1,500 contributors. The album debuted at number one on the iTunes uh, Christian chart. John Mark recently came through our studio performing Holy Ghost. Here is John Mark McMillan. Who are we? Sometimes I wonder Mercenaries or lovers On this side of the thunder It can be awful hard to know Sell our love for the paycheck Spend the night on the freight deck For all the dues that we our hearts can be overdrawn We're dead in the water Like lamb to the slaughter If the wind doesn't sing her song And I'm speaking in tongues Cause I need a holy ghost The geeks, they can smell you Even out in the cold 
They'll wait you out, yeah, they'll grind you down But they're gonna get what they are owed And I know the red thread unravels I know you're blue and you're black But there's still time if you don't mind The way that the odds are stacked Dead in the water like lambs to the slaughter If the wind doesn't sing her a song And I'm speaking in tongues Cause I need a John Mark McMillan. Make sure to check out their tour schedule and more at johnmarkmcmillan.com. But I still care in the way like I've always done before. It gets so heavy at times, but what more can I do? I gotta stay. You're listening to The Black Keys. The song is Turn Blue from their upcoming album. Our next guest is the senior pastor of Nairobi Chapel in Kenya. His name is Pastor Oscar Muriu. And he is a legend to many, many people, one of which is our friend Eddie Koffeltz. Love him. Love Pastor Oscar. I, he um, he does church planning all over the world and uh, has gone and spoken at Willow Creek and uh, spoken at our church and I respect him a ton and um, I knew he would have uh, some great thoughts on Easter and Good Friday and cultural differences and he's he's amazing. I was honored to speak with him. His vision is to see the African church rise up to its place and calling in the global church um, a, a thriving missions-focused uh, congregation, Nairobi Chapel operates an HIV-AIDS ministry and has a vision to plant 300 churches in Africa and worldwide. It's a pretty amazing ministry. Uh, and because it's Easter weekend, we wanted to talk to somebody outside of our cocoon and get a global context uh, for this you know, incredibly important event. So uh, our very own Eddie Big Cat Koffeltz recently spoke to him. Here is Pastor Oscar Murillo. We are listening to this and having this conversation in the midst of Holy Week. Um, you know, we're reading the same book. We're, it's the same story. It's the same core fundamental idea, the, the death and resurrection of Christ for the sake of God's children. Um, tell me how that is indigenized for African ears and eyes and hearts. Well, you see, when you read the, the Easter story from the perspective of uh, an African's context, there is injustice, there is oppression, there is suffering, there is misrepresentation, there is power, um, you know, with the Sanhedrin and the, the scribes who put uh, Jesus to death. And in a sense, it's easy for us to empathize with or identify with the suffering Christ, because that's exactly where we are. 
we know power structures and the injustice of power structures. We understand, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call them, Roman soldiers and the place of the army to defend the rights of the rich and the wealthy. We understand misrepresentation in a court of law where you're never given an opportunity to really speak and voice what you need to. And yet Jesus takes it and goes to the cross and dies uh, for a greater cause than just, you know, himself, so to say. And he dies for humanity's sake. And so it gives us hope that in our suffering, much good can come out of the pain and the experience that is ours, even in the midst of injustice. And we may not be able to turn injustice around, but in it, there can be a redemptive factor that is greater than my own rights and my own, um, you know, uh, defense of my own justice. Now, you have spent a great deal of time in the West. You know Western culture. You know how we American uh, readers and listeners are reading this. So can you, can you juxtapose that to what's similar and also different about how um, uh, an American uh, Christian may be viewing the, the story that is unfolding in Easter? I think one of the things I would say about this, and I don't intend to be critical or harsh about it, is that one of the problems with Easter in the West is that it's been a, become a domesticated story. And uh, the whole power of the Easter story has been neutered so that um, it's a lovely story of meek and mild Jesus going to the cross for humanity. And it, it's sort of a fairy tale. It's sort of like... Um, it doesn't elect emotions. Um, the power of the story has been compromised by, you know, it's been told so many times and this culture has had it for so long that they can't see the wonder of Easter and the power of Easter and the statement of Easter. And, you know, it's become a domesticated story of, you know, a God who dies meekly and, you know, how, how wonderful and how pretty that is. Um, I think it's part of the powerful difference in the story that has been in this culture for hundreds of years and the story that has not been with us for very long and is a powerful story of injustice. Um, I feel like and I, we have lost the the punch of Good Friday a little bit. A lot of churches, at least in America, uh, either don't have Good Friday services uh, at all um, or or they're kind of an upbeat, kind of upswing sort of service where in reality, and correct me if, if I'm viewing this wrong, but in reality, Good Friday is essentially a, f- a funeral service, um, a funeral service for Christ, but also a, a time of reflection on why Christ died on the cross and the part that we played in that. Um, tell me, tell me first of all, do you agree with that? And, and tell me about how you kind of walk through as a pastor and as a believer um, through Good Friday. You know, it's, um, if I could compare Good Friday with uh, another story, a modern story that we all identify with and that we all sort of are knowledgeable about today, it would be the story of Nelson Mandela in South Africa and the liberation of uh, the you know, black people from apartheid. The way you approach that story is you are in awe of the suffering that Nelson Mandela paid and the price that, you know, um, freedom came with. And yet you celebrate him. When you gather together to remember Nelson Mandela, you don't do so with a somber tone and, you know, um, 
in in quiet sort of depressed uh, settings. You do so with much joy and with much celebration at what uh, Nelson Mandela did and the freedom that is the South African black man's freedom today because of the price he was willing to pay. I think that's what Easter uh, is, you know, should be, that we celebrate what Jesus has done. And yet we all recognize the high price that was paid for Easter. And so it's, there's a tension between being in awe of what he has done and celebrating and singing and dancing and rejoicing over what Easter means. And, uh, you know, I would imagine that the need, therefore, is to capture those two sentiments in the same, uh, you know, ceremony, so to say, one of joy, exuberant joy, and the other one of uh, recognizing and standing in awe at the wonder of, you know, the price that was paid for us so that we can have our freedom. And then we come together on Easter, and it is such a, as you said, celebration, communal experience. And we have a we have a term. I don't know if you've heard it, but a term uh, that floats around U.S. churches called CEO Christians: Christmas and Easter only. Um, and it's folks yeah. that that show up twice a year. Which I, I'm glad they show up twice a year. It's it's not a knock on on them, but um, I wonder what it is about Easter that draws people back to the church because it's such a it was such an act that was so highly individual and personal i wonder why it is that we we feel the need whether we are still figuring out if jesus is who he said he is or if we are an all-in sold-out believer i wonder why it is why the whole flock comes home on easter You know, if I could, um, Eddie, I would say, um, if I may draw an analogy, okay, mm. and ask a question, why do pigeons home? Why is it that uh, dogs that are lost are able to eventually find their way back to their master and the mm. place that they call home? I think it's something that is inscribed, uh, you know, within. And, you know, they try and study pigeons and ask, you know, is it navigational? Is it that they are aligned with the North Pole? Is it there's a fixed point in their minds as to what home is? And they, no matter where you put them, they will always find their way back. I think this is man, that there is a part of us that is homed in on a God who loved us and created us. And no matter how far we drift away from, Somehow there are those moments in life where there is a, a pun, you know, a desire to go back home. And maybe, uh, you know, the, what you call the CEO Christians, the Christmas and Easter only Christians, that, that there is a core, there is, there is a silent, um, you know, orientation or uh, beacon that, that draws us again to the fact that we are not alone in this universe and that there is a place called home. Um, and we long to find it, even though much of the year we're not even aware of it. But there is a season that comes when the draw and the pull and the navigational orientation is that we want to go back home. And, and many don't recognize what that is about. But I think, you know, there is something about humanity and mankind that recognizes there is a God and that that God calls us home. And, and maybe it's heightened at Easter and Christmas. So, Pastor Oscar, as you prepare your heart um, in in this Holy Week, and you prepare for uh, for Easter and the celebration and the dancing and everything that comes along with it, can you tell us a little bit about what what that looks like for you um, in the days before Easter? 
Well, um, I think ideally what it, it, it needs to look like is, number one, slow down. You know, it's easy to approach Easter as just another ceremony and run, 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 rush, 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 fit in, you know, some Easter ceremony somewhere and then move on to the hundreds of things that call our attention. Um, I, I think rightfully there is a need to slow down and to reflect on the Easter story again and to ask the important questions of how does this story impact my life and what needs to change even about where I am presently, to take into account this story and to be true to this story. Um, and maybe it's just a silent moment of, you know, gratitude at the gift of life that is ours. Um, maybe a silent moment of recognition that, you know, God is important and God has a role to play in my life. And so I think at Easter time, you know, the desire is to just slow down and focus more on um, just enjoying and appreciating that there's a bigger purpose to life than my job and my career and my running around um, because there is a God. And for me, that would be the desire that, you know, even in the service on Good Friday or on Easter Sunday, it's an opportunity to reflect and to slow down and rejoice over what has been done. If you want to hear more, uh, the full interview, which is fantastic, is uh, in its entirety on the podcast episode page at Relevant Magazine. We do a duet.com. Sing together. <laughs> That's great. If you want to uh, follow what they're doing at the church, uh, follow them on Twitter at Nairobi Chapel. listening to page CXVI. The song is Christ is Risen from their album Good Friday to Easter, which is streaming right now on The Drop at relevantmagazine.com. When John Mark McMillan came through our studio recently, um, he performed two songs and we filmed them both. You definitely want to watch these uh, videos. They live on the episode page, uh, the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com, relevant.tv, and on the relevant YouTube channel, um, it, I mean, listen, come on, we're not going to steer you wrong. The, the us and our daughters one recently, the Hillsong United one recently, these are amazing videos. You definitely want to check out the John Mark McMillan ones performing future past. Here is John Mark McMillan. You hold the reins on the sun and the moon like horses driven by kings. Over the mountains, the valleys below, with the breath of your mighty wings. All treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside your hand. In this fortunate turn of events, you ask me to be your friend. Ask me to be your friend 
constellations are swimming inside the brain of your desire. So where could I run? Where could I hide from your heart's jealous fire? All the treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside your hand. And in this fortunate turn of events, you ask me to be your friend. You ask me to be your friend. John Mark McMillan. Remember to watch the videos of these performances. Uh, you can check them out on the podcast episode page and at relevant.tv.
You're listening to Licky Lee. The song is No Rest for the Wicked. Oh, see, there's a twist. It would have been weary normally. It's from her upcoming album, I Never Learn. Okay, it's time for feedback. Last week, we asked you to pitch us your best sitcom ideas. There weren't that many. I'm, I was a little disappointed. I mean, there were some. There's some good ones. Uh, you guys went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You also hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you posted some on our Facebook page. Uh, b- before we read them, the context was that there's a, a contest NBC is doing. They're crowdsourcing sitcom ideas where you can pitch NBC a sitcom idea, and then they're going to select some to give you money to go make the show, and some will air on NBC. So the whole thing of, well, if we're going to crowdsource sitcom ideas, we might as well crowdsource some sitcom ideas. So um, we asked you guys to send us yours and here are some of our favorites austin says that this is his this is his idea and he says think of it as satire or something three men find themselves trapped on a lifeboat in the ocean for months one of the people happens to have written a book about dodging grand vessels but amnesia mysteriously (laughs) occurs as a huge ship begins to approach the lifeboat this doesn't really sound like a sitcom as much as like a you know lifetime original movie but i agree i would watch it I liked Zachary Johnson, who said, my pitch would be epic. It would be like The Office meets the world of youth ministry. A camera crew falls around a group of youth pastors, college pastors, and even 50-year-old young adult pastors. The young adult pastor just wants to be 20 again. It's like Michael Scott. I would really, really love a half-hour sitcom goofing on the world of 90s youth ministry. Just (laughs) getting up there with this spiky tip blonde hair. Hey, you guys. Hey, what's up? At the fire flame. I just want to get real with you. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. uh, table topics cards. I have a tattoo. Uh, you mentioned the pastor want to be twenty. Here's a here's a question. Oh, lightning round. What's the ideal age? What's the ideal age? Table to, topics card to, to oh, exist. What's the ideal age? Interpret it however you will. Oh, I already know. I've always said that 38 was going to be my my best year for sure, and I'm going to be 38 this year. So that's you've already you've always said that. Like I when you were 21, I, I have the sense that I'm the kind of person who's really going to come into her own at 38. Like college, I was not. I was not your ideal college girl. High school, you know. So I, I always thought it was going to take a little age for me to really kind of come into my own. And I think maybe 38. Interesting. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. Really? I know. No, see, see, I'm pretty sure I peaked about three years ago. That's interesting. For real, your ideal age is not yet come. So definitely, you would say like I don't know what it is, well, but there's something. Now brewing. that I'm right up to it, I feel like I might need more time. I might need 42. But to be honest, I have always said 38. So now I feel like a little mounting pressure. Like I got a lot to do before I turn 38 and become awesome. But um, I've always thought that was the right year for me. Huh? Yeah. What, what, what's your what's your answer, Cameron? I don't know. I think I mean I th- I was more thinking in the twenty seven or thirty range. Yeah, yeah, dude. I feel like there's something there's some sweet spot coming. Like I, I like Shauna's answer. Like late thirties, early forties. There's something I feel I, I feel something brewing. And I don't well, know what because it is. you're you can still do whatever you want, but you're smart enough to have learned a lot. You've accomplished some things. You have some resources. You but you right. can. That's interesting, huh? I'm not saying there. I'm not not looking forward to later years in life, but I'm not saying it's the best age ever that I'm at right now. But I'm pretty happy. Like if I had to stick at this age forever with the 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 situation I'm in, 
I probably wouldn't complain that much. Yeah, I yeah. that that's kind of where I've always been. Like, I'm not somebody who like who who's like, oh, I planned a vacation, you know, th- three months from now, and I'm just like looking forward to that thing. Like, I'm happy today. I'm happy tomorrow. And then when I get on the plane, I'm like, oh yeah, cool. This is gonna be fun. I mean, like, I'm just I, like I kind of live in the moment. I don't anticipate. And so like I'm with you, Jesse. Like I'm happy <laughs> this year. Like yeah, I there every age has a pro and a con, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like. There's advantages to older. There's advantages to younger. And just like the key is just making the most of where you are, right? I don't know. So there is yeah. no ideal age? Or are we saying nine? I, 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 I don't know, man. I wouldn't go through my 20s again. Really? Maybe. Really? Like I had fun and there were things I loved. I got to marry Brienne. But like, you know, the amount of intensity that I put on everything huh. at that point, I have really enjoyed like getting rid of some of that and being able to just really, really be more present in my life instead of so ramped up about every little thing. I wouldn't, I would not want to go back there. I think I feel a similar thing. I feel like I'm, I'm getting the hang of things that are important to me. And if, and and so like four years from now or so, it could even be, I would kind of have a handle on even more things. That's really going to be lovely. Yeah. And I feel like I've been able to answer other answer questions like, and not to take this on too deep a turn, but like, like, how has God wired me and what am I being called to in a way that is finally out of actually just answering that question as opposed to here's what I desperately feel will fill up some sort of cavern inside me that I, huh. you know what I mean? Like, at this point, it's, it, I mean, it's not fully that. There's always checking our motivations, but like, that, that has been, that shift has been so, so, such a relief. That's interesting. Yeah. I would say I feel a similar thing. I'm, I'm with Eddie. Okay. So, sitcom ideas. Here we go. You guys wrote in. <laughs> hey, Amy Beth said How I Met Your Father, which that actually might be a show. No way. I, I, I think I heard I, I heard some rumor that How I Met Your Father is not outside the realm of possibility. With the same cast? I, I don't know. I didn't watch How I Met Your Mother, so I don't know how it would work. That's awful. <laughs> uh, Alexander uh, on the podcast page said... Uh, his this is apropos. His show is called "What About Bob," and it would be a, a sitcom following the life of Bob Goff. Tagline: Make today awesome. <laughs> yeah. I would actually watch that. I Bo- think. Bob had an idea. We were talking. And he had a show idea. We were sitting at the airport, and we were talking about we were talking about the people who read our magazine. They want to change the world, and we were talking about the the difference between like somebody who's like twenty two, and then a reader who's like thirty six, mm-hmm. and they like what are they scared of and what are they, whatever. And, and I think it's so interesting. Like we have this wide range cause those are two totally different people, but, they, but they'll both read our magazine. And so like they both want to change the world. And the one at 22 is like ideal and like idealized view of things. And they're, they have zeal and they want to go change the world. And then the guy at 36 is like, he wants to change the world, but he's kind of given up on his dreams a little bit because he had to settle. Uh, you know, that's a lot of people. And, um, and, and we were talking about that, and he goes, Bob just goes, we should do it. You know what we should do? We should do a show where we pick somebody, like they could apply. We pick somebody, and we change their life. We help them go after their dreams. So, like, we literally, like, could move, we could move them to a new city. We would get, like, six, like, world leaders to, like, mentor them and, like, walk through life with them. And we would change their life. We wouldn't hand out anything. We wouldn't do it for them. But we would give them the access and the opportunity and the fresh start to, like, get unstuck. Hmm. And I'm like, well, that would take like 10 years, you know, like, but you know but, what though? Well, not and if it, you have a dream like mine, which is just to be independently wealthy, then you just give a bunch of money. <laughs> Sweet. McDonald's. Thanks guys. I wonder if it would work though. <laughs> because, because, because you're thinking the person who 
didn't achieve the thing. Like if there was really a thing that they could have achieved, they would have gone after it more or they would have done it. Besides instances of just really bad fortune, you know, right. like something happened. Well, there's something it, like the institutional poverty in the inner city, yes, things yes, like that. Like yes, they yes, can't yes. break out of that. It's right. impossible. Yes. Or, or, but you're saying just, like somebody who just chose the suburban normalcy versus being, you know, the risk taking aspects of, you know, doing the thing that they dreamt of doing or whatever. Right. Because I mean, it was in his, somebody who chose safety. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you listen to Bob's interview last week and you realize like a lot of the reason that he is able to like he just took a lot of risks he yeah. did a lot of things along the way that i think even uh, like any of us would have been like hey that's not smart like you mm. need to not do that mm. and i think that generally like it takes mm. that kind of temperament mm. to but then i also wonder like really mm. I, I used to think i wanted to go change the world and now i'm like well what is that desire about like mm. i wonder if like i mean you know that um there's a a great book that I read that talks about like primary and secondary calling Mm. and like primary calling is to God and to your family. And I wonder like at the end of the day, like isn't the most important thing, this is like settling into my thirties. I like, isn't the most important thing like to serve even Lucy and Brie really well. And I, I like, I don't know. So, so I don't really know where I'm fully so going. So the with last this, few weeks, that's so up my alley right but now. In the last few weeks, we've been I've been in this train of thought for for me, mm-hmm. my own life, uh, for relevant and different things, and and I've been going on this journey with the team that yeah. actually started when we were done um, thinking of story and different things mm-hmm. and applying it to our lives and stuff. And I think that I've had clarity that the that the common thread of the people who read our magazine isn't that they want to change the world. The phrases that we've kind of settled on is. They want to live a life that matters, mm-hmm. and they want to make a difference. Right. And and both of those, and none of those are grandois necessarily. I mean, maybe you know the difference that mm-hmm. they are called to make is huge. Right. But but no matter what God's called you to, you want to live a life that matters. And so, what does that mean? You can define that like you want to live well. You want to live selflessly and outwardly and love well. You want to have a career or a job that you find, you know, meaningful or, you know, I mean, like there's mm-hmm. things you could define what does it look like to live a life that matters. And and, and, and then they want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. They don't want to just like go with status quo. Mm-hmm. They want to positively impact their surroundings in yeah. some way. And I think that's the common thread between the 22 year old and 36 year old mm-hmm. that reads our magazine. They have that innate desire. Um, Bob was so funny to me, like, just like, no, yeah, let's pick him up. We could give him, a, I mean, listen, I know law, we could, we could give him a new name. We could just give him a fresh start. And right. I think that's interesting that you're saying like, well, that person would have kind of done. I think, yeah, I think it really depends on the person. I mean, there is just, it, I, I wonder what his thinking is. I think, I wonder if it's somebody that's been stuck in institutional poverty. That's just like, we are going to like, we're, we're going to do whatever is necessary to help you out of these cycles and give you access like like no one else gets. Hmm. Like, I think that that's fascinating. But, like, for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, me at 25, I'm like, I don't, I don't think... I don't think it well, would. Have been, a, I don't think it would have been helpful. It's a Don. It's uh, the show, The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Back in its earliest days, it was yeah. like this guy or girl would get the opportunity of being mentored by Donald Trump for a year, and then mm-hmm. what have they done? You know, what I mean, like, so like just the mm-hmm. access to the leader, the knowledge that didn't make them innately successful. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I think there are, you know, some of what we're talking about is there are those stories that sound really brave and exciting and fun, and sometimes the most brave and courageous thing really isn't that fun. You know, and I, I know that sounds like kind of like a lame grown up message, but I feel like, especially in publishing, obviously there's a lot of like, what's the new book about? Like, are you going to travel around the world or are you going to, um, 
climb this peak or, you know, ride a bike across here. And like, I'm actually going to stay home a lot and be a writer and be a mom. And that's not as exciting, but it's a lot for me. It's a lot braver because Mm. it would be a lot easier to go, go, go. And it's a lot more exciting. Mm. But I think you kind of have to reframe what meaningful and what brave look like at at every current point at every new season. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get really caught up in those big, exciting stories, but they're not always the best ones to be lived in every season. Mm. And two, I think to a degree, like every good story of like success of people who achieve their dreams is really just small stories of failure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Richard Branson, for example, didn't he lose it all a couple times along the way? Oh yeah. Uh, Virgin started as a magazine when he was in college and, and, and uh, ultimately the magazine failed, but in the middle of all that, uh, music re- revolution was happening in the early 70s and stuff. And so in the back of his uh, college magazine, he started doing mail order where people could buy albums that they kind of recommended. Mm-hmm. And the mail order music business became Virgin Music. <laughs> and, and and the magazine failed, but he didn't care. It went about, you know what I mean? You just keep moving. You keep trying. Yeah. You keep going. That's and, amazing. And that, that's why the idea of like making someone's dreams come, through, come true, it's like it, it almost loses meaning because... You know, a lot of people who are successful and have kind of quote unquote achieved their dreams, the the real value in it is that they failed along the way and learned something. And we're, you know what I mean? Even for whether you're, you're an athlete or uh, in a, uh, you know, entertainment or, or even if you're, even if your dream is something more uh, subtle, uh, just like being a good parent, it's meaningless if you didn't make the mistakes to know you're being a good parent, you know, to be like, man, I really improved over that. And I really feel like I'm doing a good job. Like, I feel like that's part of the necessary process is failure. Yeah. Absolutely. Brian asks me and we, we kind of have this conversation every once in a while. Cause I, I find myself battling with this and, uh, she asked me every once in a while, you know, what, what would success look like for you? What is it, what does it look like for you to feel like, okay, I've arrived. And, and then this question is kind of asked under a bunch of different umbrellas, kind of vocationally, uh, as, as a part of our family. And the answers have become so much less, um, grand, but so much more deeply gratifying. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it, you know, 10 years ago, it was, basically change the world in a way that is like unmistakable that is like the whole planet is impacted by whatever the heck it is that i don't know i'm supposed to do and now it's just like i'd really like to have a great relationship with eve and lucy and i would love um to get a box of books that i wrote delivered to my house one day even if i never sell any i would just like to see it (laughs) you know like i'm like that would be that would be good enough like you know what i mean and it's just like i don't think it's paring down it's just so much more deeply gratifying to like I don't know if it's being a father. I don't know. Bob Bob said when he was in his 30s, he was working, he was a partner. He told the story last week. He he, uh, he was a partner at this big law firm. And one day it dawned on him, um, and I don't know if he said it in this mm-hmm. way in the podcast, but he, he, he said it the other day. He goes, um, you just need to like figure out who is going to be around the bed when you die. Like mm-hmm. who's going to be on your deathbed. Yeah. And, 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 is your life focused on on building and nurturing those relationships? Because mm-hmm. that is the only priority is yeah. those people, and uh, and he listed off several names uh, of these are the people who will be on my deathbed with me, yeah. and those are the people that like nothing else matters to me. Mm-hmm. And so like he had that aha moment when he was thirty in his thirties, and that's when he was like, I am going to spend three months every summer with my children, with my family, because they're going to be on my deathbed. And even today, they're grown and off. Like they, he finds other ways to do that. Where like 
Nothing else matters. Last year, uh, I said, hey, were you at the prayer breakfast last year? Because I didn't see you. And he goes, no, I was invited. I didn't go. He said, on the same day, he said, um, my daughter's a school teacher and a kindergarten. And it was the first year teaching kindergarten. And they had um, uh, show and tell. And they had a thing where she asked me and she invited me to come in for her show and tell. She wanted me to tell the kids like what I do and my job and things like that. And I got two invitations that day to go to my daughter's kindergarten class and to go to the White House. Mm-hmm. And I, she's more important. And so I went to that. And he so left, he wasn't at the White House last year. And he left a note for Barack Obama in his daughter's first grade yeah. class. <laughs> and then I, he told him about it when I saw. No, and that. But then that yeah. amazing. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living a life that matters, and it's because you're pouring yourself into the people that matter to you. Yeah. And and you're changing their lives by doing that. And then it, there's a trickle effect. You know. But 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 in a way, it's like it's the Citizen Kane thing. You know. Totally. Like, oh, Rosebud. You, you know what I mean? Like what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul you know i mean that's what that that whole that whole movie is about the dangers of chasing all the success and admiration you know an empire building that you want mm-hmm. if like you're saying Cameron you die alone and your last utterance is is a memory from when you had family, Rosebud, which was talking yeah. about the sled when he was a child. Spoiler, Spoiler alert, alert. Dude. <laughs> But you know what? You're going to get feedback from that. <laughs> if you haven't seen Citizen Kane at this point, yeah, too like nobody cares. No, I, I, I know. I'm just, I'm totally kidding. But, but, but what I'm saying is that's that idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. It, it's, it, you, no one wants to be that, right, you know, right. no one wants to wish that they had done it different because they put their priorities in the wrong place. So you I'm know? wondering if that 22-year-old who wants to go change the world and start a nonprofit and go live in Africa, da, 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 but finds himself at 35 living in the su- a suburban life, a job they don't really care about, two kids, wife, you know, whatever. I wonder if like, rather than them feeling listless and, you know, like I, with almost like regret that I didn't, I wonder if that is the thing that they, they, th- they thought going to Uganda and changing the world would find fulfillment or give them fulfillment. Right. But where they found fulfillment was very different. And that they're fine and they are fulfilled. But I think that's I think it's part of the process. I think it's fine sanding and I think it starts with just like rough cutting at the beginning in, in your twenties and figuring out just generally how am I wired? What do I care about? And I think it has to be a movement because if I had come to this in my 20s and and I'm sure that I will be looking back in my fours and fives, right? And going, oh man, was I I was really, really amped up in my 30s, wasn't I still? Like, I don't think it's a settling down. I think it's a settling into the groove that God's carving for you in your life. But I think that you it takes a lot to find that. And I think that's I think that's the 20s. I, I think to me the key is just moving forward. Like you're mm-hmm. never like at a point where you pop in neutral and go, okay, I've arrived. Oh yeah, no. You know, no, 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 no. But no, there's no, no. always something that God's put on your heart that you are pursuing. Right. And uh it's not about the circumstances or about your vocation. It's mm-hmm. about just how you're posturing your life uh, yeah. towards others. Well, and I think it's it's paying attention along the way, right? Like there are things that in your mm. 20s you think, if I could ever do this in my 30s, I'd be happy. Right. If I got this opportunity professionally or you know relationally or whatever, that's what would make me happy. And then you get there and you realize, even though I built a lot on thinking this was the thing, this wasn't the thing and it's time for me to find a new thing. But mm. I, I think it, it's important to pay attention to that along the way instead of saying, Yep. Nope. This is where we're headed, no matter what. And then you end, some pl- end up someplace really far from where you wanted to be. So if along the way you're paying attention and having the people that you love reflect back to you, hey, you don't seem as happy about this thing as you thought you would be, or it doesn't seem like this is the thing the way you thought it was. That's the process, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think too, I think we, we live in a culture that kind of, 
you know, people are like, well, I can't wait till I just graduate or I can't wait till I get to this new season or I can't wait to this. I can't. And all of a sudden you look back and you wish your whole life away. You know, right. it's like if you're always waiting for the next thing, yeah. then, then you're never enjoying where you're at. Never and I think present. that's that's sort of a another tragedy of the, uh, you know, am, the ambition that's a part of, of modern life and it, especially a part of our generation that – they, there's a strong link between ambition and purpose that I think is sometimes a little dangerous because, like I said, if you're always looking forward, that, then you're never enjoying what, where you're at at the moment. And and no one, you, you, like I said, you don't want to wish your whole life away. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for last week's uh, scripts that you sent in. There you go. That, that led to us into a really deep conversation. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. Okay, well we've <laughs> table topics. Uh, tabletalks.com you can uh, um, table topics gave us a few good questions this week and we want to ask you one of them um, what do you guys say is the ideal age and why mm-hmm. uh, so don't just reply with a digit or two or three or three <laughs> Uh, we want to know why as well. Uh, so if you want to reply, head over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post on our Facebook page. And use a hashtag. That's use very, hashtag. Very helpful. Uh, question Q-O-T-W. Of the week. So Q-O-T-W. Q-O-T-W on Twitter. Yeah. Right. Good. Many thanks to John Mark McMillan for coming through the studio. Make sure to watch the videos of those two performances. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel, uh, the Relevant re- YouTube channel, and at Relevant.tv. They're great. And remember, I met him for a couple minutes one time. Oh, yeah. Did you walk by him in a hallway? <laughs> How do I? I got to get up there. I got to get up there and punch you and then leave a note and telling even Lucy I did that. <laughs> Someday, girls. Even we'll Lucy, Virginia. I was here punching a man, but you were the one who I was thinking of. Even Lucy, yeah. <laughs> even Lucy on the back of the Declaration of Independence. I've given you a map to a letter. I talked about how I punched a guy one time <laughs> for making a disparaging comment about my encounter with Bill Clinton. <laughs> it wasn't an encounter. He saw Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> also, thanks to Oscar Murray uh, for talking to us. Um, Pastor make, Oscar, the man. Pastor Oscar, uh, awesome stuff. Uh, make sure to check out what they're doing at NairobiChapel.org. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffeltz. Beast mode. Yeah. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Shauna Nequist. For Chad Michael Snavely, who hates us all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. Check us out on Facebook and get bonus material from this episode at the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check out the magazine. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Burpees, blah, 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 kipping pull-ups, Reebok, blah, blah, paleo.